1: This is Brad Barrett and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. Are we preaching to the
0: choir? I often ask myself this as I prep for each podcast or write some sort of financial content. I mean, you've all heard my story, how I was burning out in medicine, how I discovered Jim Dolly and the White Coat Investor and how it introduced me to financial independence, how it changed my life. But looking back, I was kind of primed for the message. I had already made the mental leap that my life and money weren't serving me. If I hadn't come across the White Coat Investor, it would have been something else. They say that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But I guess for a horse that is ready to drink, you can sure show it how or help it find the nearest hydration station. Why is this important? Well, my guest today and I share a struggle which extends to many of you out there. We are simply trying to help the people we care about make better money decisions. For Brad and I, we do this with our words and microphones. For you, it might be those painful conversations with family and friends. If you look out at the world, however, as a whole, we aren't making much headway. Are we trying in vain? Brad Baird is the host of the top 50 business podcast, Chooseify, a personal finance expert and a certified public accountant. He has a passion for financial independence and helping people take action to make their lives richer in every way, wealth, health, connections, and ultimately happiness. Brad Barrett, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let's start with the really big question. Are we preaching to the choir?
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's always good to see you, my friend. And I've seen you twice in in real life in the last couple of weeks, which has been amazing. It is, it's a hard question. I sometimes fear that we are but I have been really hardened in the last year by attending live events and economy in Cincinnati that Diana Merriam runs and I went there for the first time and you know frankly this was the first time that I have gotten out and about in the in the five world since covid hit and I I didn't know what to expect. I thought that it was just going to be a reunion of people that I had known and and people who have been in the FI community or pursuing just a better financial life, a better life generally, for many, many, many years. And I was shocked at how many essentially brand new people there were to this message, to the FI community. And I mean, I I probably had, no joke, 50 to 100 people come up to me and and just, oh, I found your podcast, oh, blah, 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 like in just in the last year or two. So again, this is a tiny, tiny sample size, clearly not indicative necessarily of the larger culture or, or anything. But I was so pleasantly surprised and shocked. And I just left from that conference just feeling emboldened that actually, Jordan, I I took away maybe the opposite of what clearly you weren't saying. We're not helping people that way. That wasn't the implication. It's clearly a question, but I walked away actually saying, if there are so many new people in my audience, in your audience, et cetera, are we actually reaching those people with the content that we're currently producing? So this is actually my current fear that, If I look at the last year and change, so Jonathan Mendonca was my co-host for five plus years. He uh, left the on-air podcast. We're still great friends and et cetera, but he left the on-air podcast about a year and change ago. And if I'm honest with myself, maybe the last 60 episodes that I put out, I don't know how much of that was geared towards beginners. And so my fear is that I have moved on to a different stage of my life where I've read the book Die With Zero and I'm thinking about, I've re- clearly reached financial independence, getting to that fat fi kind of mindset. And I'm producing content for me, but I suspect the vast majority of the audience is actually brand new. So, like, I literally just sat down in the last 48 hours and came up for the very first time in a seven year podcast run with, Hey, what would a year's worth of content look like if I was trying to help? The audience and not just speak to what interests me. So, so yeah, it, Jordan, it's interesting. So I, I'm kind of all over the place here, but, but this is very top of mind for me.
0: Let's go back and talk about your beginnings. I'm interested in this idea of how you've evolved because what you're saying right now is the content you're producing today, what interests you isn't what got you excited and pulled you in in the first place. So, talk about your own evolution. When you first entered this field, what were you concerned with then and how has it changed?
1: so for me and this goes back really a decade ago i I started my very first personal finance website richmondsavers.com which is the silliest name in the world over 10 years ago it was 10 and a half years ago at this point as we're recording this and at that point i was very much into optimizing i was into thinking about every dollar thinking about how can i cut things out of my life to get me to a point of financial independence sooner I was a corporate state tax manager doing like literally state tax returns over and over and over again for years and years and years. And that was something that at that point I was, if I'm honest with myself, I wanted to run away from. I hadn't yet gotten to the point in my life where I wanted to run towards something other than my family, right? So I knew the North Star was, hey, I want to be there. And be around as my girls are growing up, my two daughters. And and that clearly was was a a North Star. But from a personal finance perspective, a lot of it was uncertainty, worry. And it was, I wouldn't say deprivation, because I don't think we ever got that far, but it was certainly it was more focused on cutting. It wasn't focused, it was a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. And and in fairness, I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think when people find FI and when people are early in their careers or earlier in their careers and they feel like they can't raise their income, right? If you take that as a given, which let's even put that aside for now, the easiest way is to start cutting things and certainly things that are unnecessary or extraneous and could be, because let's, let's be honest, right? Like this is a mathematical equation at the end of the day. It's what you earn minus what you spend is equal to that gap. And you want to invest that gap very wisely. And that was another, another thing, frankly, Jordan, that just finding JL Collins and the simple path to wealth and low cost index fund investing, that was another massive aha moment for me. But really the name of the game here is increasing that gap, right? So obviously you can increase income, I had a limiting belief that I was kind of stuck where I was so the only other avenue was to reduce expenses. And and I did that to great effect. And again, I don't genuinely believe that I ever got to the point of deprivation, but but I was probably teetering on it if if I'm fair with myself. And you know, over the years as you get into, all right, everything's on autopilot. This is all working, right? Like you're in that what do, what do we call it like the messy middle or, or something like that like those middle years where or boring middle that's what it is and right these boring years in the middle that everything's working i'm on the path to fight i'm succeeding but it's kind of boring in there right like i i don't have all that much to do and, and maybe that was slightly different from from my particular case because obviously entrepreneurship is is inextricably linked with my story but But I think now to actually answer your question, I am at this point of abundance for the first time in my life, and and I after reading articles like "The Tail End" by Tim Urban on Wait But Why, where you look at how much time are you going to spend with your children, and it's literally five percent of all the time you're ever going to spend with your child is one year of their life from zero to eighteen. So it's one by the time they're eighteen. That is approximately 90% of the time you will ever spend with that child. Because right, Jordan, think about it. We, we go to college and, you know, thinking of, of ourselves as, as younger kids, like you went to college, you don't know if you're coming back. You might come back for the summers, summer here or there. But after graduation, like you might go to med school, you might move away, you might move to a different country. Who knows? So anyway, as now the parent side of this, it's. Oh my goodness! I have a 15 year old and a 12 year old. I have to really maximize this time, and now I'm in a position where I I'm in a financial abundance, let's say, and I need to reallocate my thinking and my spending accordingly to maximize this this precious time that I have with my daughters. So, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the evolution evolutionary arc that I've been on. So. Uh, I know obviously you're in a not terribly dissimilar place with with your own kids.
0: Oh for sure and and as my son just went to college I realized that that time is fleeting and just like you I had a very kind of what I'd almost call now the standard evolution right we start worrying about money we really emphasize efficiency and then you get to a point where you're like okay I kind of got this money thing down but what is it getting me and then you start thinking more about life and actually being less efficient, but getting more out of that precious time and space we have. I feel like you and I are lucky, right? Because as content producers, people seek us and our content out. But I'm trying to broaden this to the people who are listening right now to our conversation. We get primed listeners, right? We have a primed audience. The pump has already been primed. But most people out there, when they're dealing with their family, when they're trying to teach their sons and daughters or their neighbors or even their parents how to be financially savvy, they're not always as lucky, right? The audience isn't always ready to hear, again, this idea you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Do you have to be primed to hear these messages? I mean, I feel like we already get this beautiful primed
1: audience right to our doorsteps. I think we might be being unfair to ourselves on some level, maybe financial independence content is, is for people who are already primed on some level. Maybe we can make that argument, right? So clearly, obviously, Dave Ramsey has a lot of, a lot of detractors for, for very precise reasons, right? And, and we don't need to get into them, but what he does exceedingly well is he helps people who probably would describe themselves as a hot mess financially, right? Like they, he is, again, a lot of detractors, a lot of reasons to not like Dave Ramsey, but there are a whole lot of reasons to really like what he puts out and the tens of millions of people that he helps because he's so clear, because it's so simple, because it's so obvious, this is what I need to do in step one through step six, really. And then I think you get to step six. And then I, he obviously has a seventh step, but it's it's super nebulous. And many people at that point are lo- looking around and saying, hey, what's next? And I think I've always viewed our show, Choose of High, as, okay, this is what's next. This is maybe the graduation point from baby step six. And I think I think that's okay. Like, that's how I've always conceptualized even the quote unquote newer people that that we're getting to the community and to the art. Like I, I, that is a, a new person to the financial independence world because they might only be a year or two removed from that hot mess scenario. Right. So I don't know. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like someone just coming in off the street with a significant amount of financial baggage and they find your podcast or mine, is there a logical stepwise fashion for them to get their financial house in order?
0: It's actually something I really struggle with because what I've noticed and what I think we're really talking about today here is I think we create content and material and we're really used to helping people who are primed for that help. On the other hand, your average Joe out in the world has a much larger leap. They have to take people in their lives they deeply care about and they really want to help and try to transform their relationship with money. But these aren't people, maybe, who hit rock bottom yet. These aren't people who things got so bad in which they needed to look at their lives and say, something has got to change or I can't go on. And so I think it, it, It's interesting to try to reach that population. And so it becomes a question of, is this message strong enough? Specifically here today, we're talking about financial independence, but I'd broaden that to general good personal finance advice. Is it strong enough to take someone who isn't at rock bottom, to take someone who maybe doesn't have the inclination and still help them? Are there words we can use? Are there ways we can set up this argument for that population, because for better or for worse, I think we're the rare ones, right? Even if ChooseFI gets hundreds of thousands of downloads, Earn Invest gets tens of thousands of downloads, even through all of that, I think we're still the minority. And so the question is, how do we make that leap for society in general? Because we have a societal problem with spending and budgeting and those kind of things, but specifically for the, the people we care about and love who we're seeing struggle.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean clearly we are the minority obviously I think by <laughs> by by its very definition of the word if we are even close to 1% of the population it would be it would be a miracle so yeah by any measure we're the minority but uh, I think how I look at this is I guess there it's like a multifaceted thing so I when I don't like to stand up on a soapbox and proselytize for FI like I I don't think that is useful. I don't think that's a good strategy. I, I think that helps nobody. People are not looking to be won over. They really aren't. So I'm not a missionary for financial independence. What I generally look for and what I would counsel everyone listening who maybe has already, okay, I'm in this. I understand. I I see the power and the beauty of this. Like, Okay, look for people in your life who just talk about something that's that's related to optimizing. It might be, and the example that I love is like somebody who clips coupons. It doesn't have to be an extreme couponer, but it, it could be. That would, that would be great. But even just somebody who clips coupons or who fleetingly mentioned to you, Hey, I, I just had a conversation about like with HR about my 401k or something. Just like look, for, just have these little alarm bells in your head of like, Oh, this is someone who. Because I think the vast majority of people are not even thinking about personal finance. And we can talk later about maybe how can we reach those people. And I think that's the crux of what you're actually asking. But in order to go from a 10th of a percent of the population to even one or two or 3%, right? Like, I think this is a stepwise thing of, okay, look for these optimizers. It could be health optimizers. It could be and just any, any bizarre little like hyper milers who are looking to get like extra mi- gas mileage on their car. Like people who are thinking about some aspect of their life of, I want to be a little bit better because I think really what the message of Phi is, is not just, oh, you're going to be rich or you're going to be wealthier, however you want to conceptualize it. I think it's that you're going to have more freedom in your life. And I think to me, this might be the the way in, certainly for maybe for everybody, Jordan. And and this is what I definitely when I when I stop talking here, I want to I want to get your opinion on the freedom aspect. But but I think definitely for these people who are again more attuned to maybe some type of optimizing, because it's once you have like you're not saving. And JL Collins talks about this in his in his book, Pathfinders. And he talked about and he talked about a conversation he had with a woman named Kathy at one of his Chautauqua events. And she was, I, I, as I remember it, like kind of a, a spouse who was dragged along to the event to some degree. And he, she was kind of incredulous about just the whole, like, isn't saving deprivation. What are we doing here? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this. Why would I do it? And, and jail said, I have actually spent every single dollar that has ever come in, and I've done it really rapidly. And she's like, "Really? What do you what What do you mean?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've spent fifty cents of every single dollar for the thing that is most important to me in the world, and that's my freedom. And I spent the other fifty cents on." the necessities of life and food and entertainment, but I, I spent the other 50 cents to buy my freedom, to buy my time. And there was just something about that frame of it. And I'm paraphrasing and obviously not as eloquently as, as JL did, but there was something about that frame that I really think that'll resonate with people. Because when we talk about, oh, you have to save money for retirement or, save money for emergencies like I don't think that resonates with anybody to you I, I don't and you know what you're saying really brings up this
0: idea that connects with me and I would add to it I would say it's the right frame at the right time and what I'm thinking about is my son for instance with both my son and my daughter we decided to give them a yearly allowance and we give it to them on January 1st and we would very clearly define what they what they're responsible what we're responsible for and then let them self budget and kind of make some mistakes or have some wins and see how the year would go and I remember with my son it wasn't quite working because he was really handy with things like electronics so he would spend a lot of money but then he'd find a way to fix an electronic and sell it or do something that would create some more wealth So that he wasn't feeling the acute pinch of what was going on. But there was one time when he was almost zero in his bank account and he was very addicted and attached to his phone and he was using it for all sorts of things. And we went canoeing and it accidentally dropped and fell into the water. Oh, no. And it was gone. It was lost for good. And so that was kind of the lever where I could have that conversation And we could talk about things like emergency funds, which a a 14-year-old kid doesn't want to speak about an emergency fund. 14-year-old doesn't want to talk about savings and planning for a rainy day and all that kind of stuff. But I had that moment right? That moment in time and that lever to then use. And so I could say right now you're feeling the pinch of this thing that just happened to you. So maybe you are not as oriented or haven't been open to these conversations before. And maybe tomorrow, the next day, you won't be open to them again once you solve your acute problem. But I had that moment in time. And I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about is there are these levers in your case, what we're talking about is freedom. And I think it's a huge lever. And if you can then identify the right lever and have the conversation at the right time where they can actually feel it a little more, I think that creates that space.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I think, I think we need to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking about our kids, right? So my older daughter, has in the last eighteen months become a card-carrying roller coaster enthusiast. Okay, <laughs> okay, this is actually a thing, Jordan. I don't know if you're aware or not. I know <laughs> uh, Joel, Joe Sihai is actually a huge roller coaster fan, so he might be a, a card-carrying member as well. So she has always been attuned, certainly to to math and like a little bit of of money and and saving. But you know, I've never really sat her down and had like overt lessons about personal finance or anything like that but i wound up having this like this grand idea of oh her favorite chain of amusement parks we actually found the closest park to us is called king's dominion and it has this like amazing coaster anyway doesn't i don't need to bore anybody with with coaster talk but they it winds up that chain is cedar fair and they are publicly traded okay so i wound up giving my daughter this whole like 60 minute impromptu, like talk. It was like a MBA class essentially on thinking about an amusement park and an amusement park chain as, as a business, like how this works. We went to their website and looked at their financial statements and she actually wound up purchasing some shares of Cedar fair stock. And it's just really, really neat. And then we like spun it out into like additional lessons where we reached out to like the general manager, of our local amusement park who went a meeting with my daughter, Anna. It was just, anyway, it, it's just like, it, it's an incredible story in and of itself, but it, it's not terribly germane to what we're talking about here. So, but where it is pertinent is I met her where she was. I knew that if I sat down and just gave her boring lessons, that it was going to fall on deaf ears. So I tried to make it fun. I tried to make it interesting. And I think that's what I look for both with as we call it second generation fi, like with our our kids or or friends and, and such, but also with, again, people our age who might never have shown an interest in personal finance or never come to you or I or again, this is not just about me and you as podcasters. This about the whole audience listening to this, is look for those people in your life and try to meet them where they are. And you might be pleasantly surprised that the people are open to talking about something that they don't have an outlet to talk about right personal finance it's so money it's just so taboo and it doesn't have to be like it actually feels good to ask questions it really does and i i think there's something there i mean it, it, jordan it's hard i i, I still want to call you doc but it's hard I don't I I can't promise you the listener that this is going to work in every instance. And and again your goal is not to try to proselytize for the the five bandwagon. That's not not what we're talking about here. But having a community of people who can who can talk about money and that you feel comfortable and you don't feel ashamed. I think so many of us feel ashamed about money. It has so much just negative baggage from our whole life and everything you you've ever heard about money. Oh, rich people are terrible. Oh, I'm going to play in the stock market, right? Like money is the root of all evil. Like there's no, there's no good memes about money. It's all negative. It's crazy. But yet I think Jordan, you and I would say our focusing on money and reaching the point where we are now has allowed us to live our best lives. And it's not a focus on money for the sake of being rich. I don't care about that. It's everything else that comes with it. And when you paint that picture, when you live that life, I think it becomes pretty clear to people.
0: We are talking to Brad Barrett. He is the host of the Top 50 Business Podcast, Choose Fi, a personal finance expert and a certified public accountant. And we are asking the question, are we preaching to the choir? Not just Brad and I, these content producers, but you and your family. How do you have these deep, difficult financial conversations with people who might not be ready to have it? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. usa.com. That's landroverusa.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app, and right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn, that's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Brad Barrett. He has a passion for financial independence and helping people take action to make their lives richer in every way. We're talking wealth, health, connections, and ultimately happiness. And we're discussing how to talk about financial topics with people who are reluctant. I talked about my son. Brad, you talked about one of your daughters. Let's talk about the next generation. I was really hit with this when my friend and yours, Diana Miriam, started the Economy Conference. And I remember when she first began with the conference, she was really passionate about having it at the University of Cincinnati because her plan was to really promote and market this to the students. And she actually, that first year, did a huge amount of promotion and marketing. She even went to some classes and talked. And when all was said and done, like two or three students came out of the hundreds of people who showed up. And I think it was a very hard lesson. This idea that maybe college kids aren't ready to hear this message. So I'm wondering your thoughts. Like, young people, are they ready for these messages yet?
1: Yeah, that is well, that's incredibly frustrating for Diana. I can only imagine how terrible that must have been. Because yeah, I mean it let's be honest, right? If we could reach every high school kid, high school senior at 18 and just tell them a couple of things, right? Okay. Don't succumb to lifestyle inflation, but really save 50% of your income. If you save 50% of your income and put it all in low cost index funds, you're going to have a wonderful life. I mean, that it would literally be it before you go out and buy a fancy car and, a, and an apartment yourself. Right? So simple, right? So simple. If you could start that early, it would, I mean, that would be it. Don't, don't get into student loan debt. If you possibly can avoid it, unless it's for a, a significant profession and yeah, save for 50% and yeah, invest it very wisely, very simply. That would be wonderful. But yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think they are. I don't think they're in a, A place in their lives where that's going to resonate i think i think because and and this is this transcends more than just high school and and college students it's i think the world of personal finance and this is the greater world the generic personal finance has made everything about personal finance about retirement Mm. which is some ridiculous far-off thing that nobody can place themselves in. When you're 22 years old, you're not thinking about yourself at 62. You can't imagine how quickly your adult life is going to go by, right? I mean, I'm 44 at this point, and it feels like the last half of my life, literally the last 22 years since I graduated college, has gone by in a blink. And I think for most people, they're going to wake up in that blink and have very little to show for it economically, right? Like it just goes by, it goes by quickly. And then that next blink until you're 60 and like, you're just, you're kind of like going along to get along. It's kind of this, this saying that it, it sounds a little bit mean, but like, that's what I think are most like just suburban people in America. It's like, you go along to get along. You have your, your normal life every month. You're spending every dollar, if not more. And you wake up and boom, you're 60 and, and you don't really have much in the way of net worth and and it's it's a lot harder at that point to to make up for that time right but but again it's hard to convince an 18 year old or a 22 year old just how fast it goes that like and and that taking that action now is actually going to impact themselves like they it's not some far off you it's not some other it actually is you, and and again, I I don't think what I'm saying now would would impact them. It's just I don't know. Other than that freedom point of view, I don't know what would light up an 18 year old or a 22 year old to get them to start making taking action that would help them in the next 10 years. Maybe it's maybe it maybe it is the freedom, but that might not be the right word. If that, that would that would resonate with them because i think and there was just some viral meme i think on tiktok about uh you know some that horrible guy jason Kalkanis or whatever like ripping on some gen z girl who had a video about how she just couldn't believe the nine to five and just how horrible it was that. you yeah. saw that right like yeah and and i really felt for her mm. because that's how i felt it Like I really connected with her and like, yeah, she might've like, it might've been a little over the top how she presented it and and made it easy to make fun of her. But like, that shouldn't be what life is all about for a 40 year period from 22 to 62 or beyond of just working nine to five, driving to and from like, that's a 10 hour day and you have, where's your life left? So what if it's reframed of, you don't have to do that forever. If you just focused on saving for your freedom.
0: Do you think we made a mistake a little bit in the financial independence movement? I noticed when you're talking about your daughter, you know, you really went at it through entrepreneurship. And I think young people are much more open to this idea of making lots of money or becoming business people. Maybe we're going about it wrong. Maybe we should be talking about more about building businesses and that more as a path to personal finance as opposed to frugality, saving and budgeting.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I suspect that does that would resonate a lot more and along the way we'll teach you these other 27 things right so because yeah you hear these like kind of whether they're apocryphal or not like these horror story like focus groups or 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 surveys that say oh 70 percent of kids under 18 want to be content creators or want to be tiktokers or youtube and like let's be honest like one one hundredth of one percent of people are going to make enough money in that but there are plenty of ways to take a lot of those skills, like I mean, and and make a real income. If I had some digital native who could help me with with my videos and my Instagram reels and TikTok, whatever, like stuff that I don't do because I don't know how to do it, I would pay somebody handsomely to do that every single one. So I suspect whether that person becomes a content creator or not, those skills. It's about building skills. And especially in the day and age where the likelihood of you having a job, one single job for 30 plus years, is so slim. I think we need to focus on skill building. And that's what we've done at Choose a Vibe for so long. We had the 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 phrase, the talent stack. Yep. Yep. Right. And it's like, man, if you could become, you don't need to be world class at anything, but if you're even top 20, the 80th percentile, let's say. So top 20% in A handful of random disparate things, you might have a skill stack that is unlike anybody else on earth. I think that's what I, Jordan, that's brilliant. I think, I think that might be the way to start the conversation. I think, I think you might have hit on something.
0: So, we're talking about how to start this difficult conversation with people who might not be as into money or personal finance or financial independence as people like us. We are just talking about entrepreneurship or business, something a little more sexy. I still feel like the financial independence theory, the hypothesis is really important. Do you think these newer FI movements like slow FI and coast FI might also be a bridge to maybe some of these younger people or even middle-aged to older people who aren't quite into the financial independence message?
1: Yeah, I, I like the new flavors. I like that there's more nuance. I think that's that's kind of where I would almost start and stop with with that aspect of the conversation, but but I will I will yeah mm-hmm. go on, obviously, since you asked. But I think I think it gives people options. And when people feel like they can see, it, it, it goes back to what we said that like the world runs on stories. So when there's only one story and this was the problem with what used to be as i called it the you know as people called the fire movement right it was because it was all about right you you're you're nodding along and and totally, this was totally right? like this was it 10 years ago the fire movement was you race to a number it doesn't matter if you're miserable or not in the intervening years this is only for white guys in their 30s who are in the tech field and obviously a caricature clearly but regardless, there was some kernel of truth to that, or at least that was the perception. And that only then was appealing to people who saw themselves in that person. Right. And like that doesn't make a worldwide financial movement that's going to change the world. It just it just doesn't. It's not broadly applicable enough. And and I would like to think, and if I would, I, I very rarely pat myself on the back for things about choose a Vi, but if, if choose if I has done one thing well it's that we've brought in the conversation. And we've made this that this is not just for that one other. It's not for that person making a lot of money who's in Silicon Valley or in a tech job somewhere. That anybody can get value from pursuing financial independence. And I think I think that to me is, again, it, it's democratizing. It, it makes it that, okay, I saw myself in this one random story that I heard on earn and invest or I heard on afford anything or choose a fire wherever you, you heard the story and and I can relate to that. And I think that's where even down to like fat fire, as they call it, right? Like, you know, and and I, I kind of alluded to that before, like there's nothing special about fat fire. It's just, it's, it's actually pretty stupid that we, that we separate this because it just literally means it's, it's the very definition of fire. Like you figure out what your life costs or what you want it to cost. And you basically multiply by 25. I don't care if your life costs 50,000 or 500,000. It is literally the same mathematical equation. So, like, there's no difference. But, 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 for the people who think that, again, because of the character, that phi is about deprivation, they might say, they might just dismiss it out of hand. But then they find the fat fire subreddit and they see there are hundreds of thousands of people who are aspiring to spend. $300,000 $300,000 or more a year. Okay, well that appeals to them and they see themselves in that. And just like you're saying with coast fire or slow fire or barista fire or a- any other thing we can come up with, oh, I see myself in that. I don't want to work this job, but I actually really love to work and I and I, you know I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who, hey, I want to do coast fire sounds fantastic to me. I'm going to get to a point where I've saved enough that that money will compound in the background and let's say it'll quadruple over the next 18 years, right? So if you assume you have an 8% annual return, which of course is not not a direct straight line, but your money should double every nine years. So it'll it'll essentially quadruple in 18 years, right? So if you have saved $500,000 and that's your net worth, you can assume again, roughly that that will be $2 million 18 years from now. Okay. So if you stopped saving money today and just let it go on that coasting, that 500,000, just compounding in the background, you can earn dramatically less now and just cover your annual expenses. That's the concept of coast five, which I think is brilliant. I think there are lots of people who, Hey, their life only costs 30, 40, $50,000. That means they only have to make 30, 40, $50,000. And they can let the money coast in the background, and then you can get all the other benefits of FI That if you're only making forty thousand dollars, you're going to pay almost nothing in tax. You're going to get significant subsidies for health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, you can put a you can put a life together that looks like that, and you can maybe do something you actually enjoy for that for that job. So, again, not to get into the minutiae of it, but but I think it just reframes that like, oh, there are lots of different paths to this.
0: Occasionally, Brad, I meet someone who actually understands financial independence and personal finance very well. And they still often don't necessarily do the things that are good for them. And when I've had these conversations, and some of them are very savvy, they'll talk about things like, oh, well, I've listened to financial independence content. All those people out there talking about it are making extra money on the side. Or they'll look at the stock market and say, well, of course, they're doing well. Everyone did well over the last decade there's this concept that there's some type of phi bubble or that the people who are doing it aren't really doing it, but supplementing in some way. Is there such a thing as a phi bubble? Could the market change in such a way that our financial independence concepts won't make sense?
1: Huh. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody is always looking for an excuse of why they can't do something. It's easy to say, oh, they got lucky or, oh, it's some other they. Right. I, I think I think a lot of us it, it's it, that's the easy out. And I think a lot of people are pessimistic. A lot of people don't want to believe that something that maybe takes some hard work and effort over a I mean, this is not get rich quick. We we certainly know that. Right. Like so I, I don't understand the hate on on the Fi community in that like we're not selling a get rich quick scheme. We're not selling anything right like to our to our great detriment like you and i personally financially like we're not selling anything so i i don't understand yeah i i guess again it just comes back to like people are always looking for a reason why oh this couldn't work for me and and it's easy to then just throw your hands up and just go along to get along so you know that that's maybe a slightly cynical way of looking at it but is there a Phi bubble? I understand, and, and I think it's always important to be intellectually honest and, and look at people's perspective. I think it is somewhat fair that many of the, let's say five content creators, if you care about such a thing, are making some small amount of money or potentially larger amount of money from their businesses. But there are very few, like if you look at the thousands of Phi bloggers probably 99.9% of them are doing it as a passion project. And I think, I think a lot of people, and I hear this all the time, like, oh, you only have bloggers and podcasters on your show. Why can't you get regular people? And I'm like, oh my God, you're, you you do not understand how this world works. Like again, 999 out of a thousand of these people are making $0 from their blog or podcast in all likelihood, because it's incredibly difficult. It's like this power law thing where like only the top 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 people can make any kind of appreciable money. So most people are losing money because it costs them 10 bucks a month to to uh, host their website or, or whatnot. So I, I just reject that that there's some weird other and I know I'm coming back to this in multiple ways like it's just so easy to say, oh but they had some upper hand. And it's just an excuse to give yourself to not take action. I just think that's that's sad. So, you know, but again, that said, right, like, is there a possibility that the stock market could crash? Obviously. But we, like, we understand that and we talk about it. JL Collins talks about that all the time. Like, the simple path to wealth, you have to be prepared for downturns in the market, 20% downturns every 10 or 15 years. There's going to be a 35% plus downturn. That doesn't sound like a community of people who are just looking at this with rose colored glasses and think that the world is unicorns and rainbows and nothing can happen. It's just that this is the best financial path that we've come up with to live as close to like an anti-fragile type life. Again, if you save 50% of your income. Lots of bad things can happen. Like I've done, Jordan, I've done so many stupid things. I know. Like, I've done so many dumb things too. Yeah. Right. But like with a 50% savings rate or more, everything fine. really works out. You're It's pretty anti-fragile. So I don't understand the hate on people who are living a wonderful life, but below their means, saving significantly, investing in a broad range of American and worldwide companies, and not trying to get rich quick just thinking this is going to work over a 10 to 20 year period and trying to enjoy their lives and add value to their community and enrich enrich themselves and their family and and the people that they know and love with their time and attention like they, to me it's a universal good i just i don't get the hate i really don't well Brad i wanted to
0: thank you for coming on the show today i couched this conversation as Are we preaching to the choir? And I'm talking about you and me, content producers. But really, the reason for having the conversation was for you all out there listening. How do you broach these difficult subjects with people who are just not ready to hear them? And because you love these people, right, whether they're your children, your spouse, your parents or your friends, you still feel the obligation to talk to them about it. And I really draw a few conclusions. And I love what you said, meet people where they are, because I don't think you can bring people to where you are, but you certainly could pay attention and listen and understand what we were talking about leverage, right? Whether that's freedom, that's their leverage, or this idea that entrepreneurship and business and making money might be what helps form the lever to help them here. And last but not least, be persistent, because the difference between someone who's primed to listen to your message and someone who's indifferent is often a new life experience. And so I can look at my own life and say, I wasn't ready to hear Jim Daly's message until I was, and then the message was there. The truth of the matter is, there probably were multiple of those messages that were there, and I wasn't ready to listen yet. So I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can reach out to you. Tell us about what's happening at Choose FI, and if people want to ask you questions specifically, how do they do that?
1: Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. always coming on the show. You're so prepared. The questions you ask are fantastic. So, you always make it fun. Uh, so, I really appreciate that. So, what's up next for me is actually a lot of what we've been talking about today is just is really trying to rethink how do I look at at the content that I'm creating and how do I foster community? Because I think people feel more emboldened to make positive changes in their life, their financial life, when they they can ask questions, when they can meet people in person, when they can see other people who are doing this and succeeding, and that it's not just some crazy thing on the internet. So, uh, I am spending a lot of my personal time now trying to really reemphasize uh, the Chooseify local groups. So, we have three hundred plus local groups in three hundred plus cities across the world, and for a long time, this has been like very decentralized. And we have admins and, but they just kind of do their thing. And I, I want to be more involved in this. I want to make it where we have best practices across different groups and, and people meeting with a purpose as opposed to, Hey, we're going to get together at a brewery and just shoot the breeze, which is good in and of itself. But, but I'm really trying to make a push to, to make those groups more robust and to really add value. So I am personally spending a lot of time on that. I'm also trying to rethink what does the content look like for Choose a like I mentioned. So that's something as we're kind of getting close to the end of 2023 now, I'm thinking about, all right, what does helping and meeting people where they are look like in 2024 and beyond? And that might just mean, hey, I have a set of content that I that I make new every year, but is in a very general sense, all right, this is the template for between 50 and 100 episodes in 2024 and then 2025 and assuming that the life cycle of a listener is, is about that long. So anyway, that's a, a very long answer to your to your short question, but I, I'm i really trying to help people. And I think just like you, this is the project of my life. And, and obviously, I could be doing a lot of things with my time and I spend a lot of time at my computer working on Choose a Vibe because I think it makes a positive difference in the world. So If you are to reach me, I guess, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously, you know how to find podcasts. Just search choose, like make a choice, choose FI. And the best way to reach me is to get on my newsletter. So choosefi.com slash subscribe. I send out one email that I handwrite every Tuesday and you literally hit reply. I read every single one of the emails that comes in. I try to reply to as many of them as I possibly can, but I can guarantee you I will read it. So choosefi.com slash subscribe and Jordan again. Thank you so much.
0: Brad Barrett, formerly of Richmond Savers and (laughs) now of Choose FI. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, my friend. That's a wrap.
0: Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Today, we're going to talk about something near and dear to my heart. Let me introduce Kevin Crow, who is the founder and Tara Fromm, who is the U.S. board chair of Give a Mile, a fantastic charity which helps provide miles and flights to loved ones trying to see terminally ill family members before they die. Kevin and Tara, welcome to Earn and Invest. Kevin, talk to me about why you created Give a Mile in the first place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had this incredible friend. His name was Ryan Westerman, and unfortunately, he passed away from brain cancer. But I got to spend the last year of life with him, and he taught me so many valuable lessons. We were both the same age. Uh, We both had been recently married. We had young sons. Our careers were doing really well. And then obviously, he got that diagnosis. And through that last year of his life, I saw the power of visit, the power of being with people, the power of saying what needs to be said. And so when Ryan passed away, I knew I needed to do something in honor. And I heard about all these travel miles that are sitting on the sidelines. I think only 8% of travel miles are deployed every year in the U.S. Why can't we get people to donate those travel miles and we'll get mothers, brothers, fathers, sisters, sons, daughters on those planes to have that last visit with somebody who's at end of life, share that idea with the world. And it's just been taking off and scaling from there.
0: Tara, that was years ago. Talk about how many flights have been sponsored Mm -hmm. And maybe tell us about a specific situation in which Give a Mile was able to provide family members a little solace in this very difficult situation.
2: As of today, we've provided 1,023 flights using 36 million miles. And one story that really tugged at my heartstrings there were two brothers who were originally from Honduras working really hard in the US. One of the brothers um, came down with throat cancer, which was terminal. And the other brother was doing his best to take care of him. They'd been separated from their mom for several years. And the mother really wanted to be there to help care for the son and say goodbye to him. And we were able to fly her up from Honduras. She was able to spend several weeks, you know, helping take care of him and saying goodbye to him. And, you know, it was, it was really a sad case because he was in his twenties, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to give that, that family that gift of a, of a flight, which was really life-changing.
0: Kevin, this is just one of many stories over mm-hmm. the years, and we are coming up on the holiday season, which tends to be giving season. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about the flight hero program, which we've set up specifically at give a mile so that people can give it this important time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Our goal from November until January 2nd is to give 75 incredible flights away how we do that is we have people take on what we call flight hero and what a flight hero does is they commit to raising, you know, so many miles, we say, you know, 50,000 miles is a flight. And they get a dedicated web page and then they reach out to their network, their friends, family, their coworkers, and they have people donate to that page. When they hit their target, right, 50,000 miles, we apply a flight story to that flight hero. So you know exactly the impact you have created, right? You have your flight page. Just think about it. If you're doing a 5k, you know, you have the thermometer and people are donating to it and you hit your goal. The difference here is when you hit your goal, you get connected to that specific flight story. You know, your impact, you know what you made happen. Now for those donating, right? We have flight heroes, obviously they set up their page for those donating. You know, maybe someone's reaching out to you saying, Hey, here's my, my page. You go to that page and you, You can donate miles, you can donate money, you can also pledge certain mile programs that we don't have right now, right? United is our big partner, but if you have American Airlines, you can pledge that for us. And you support your specific person to hit their goal, and then you get connected to that flight story and you get to celebrate the amazing impact you made happen. So it's been a huge success for us. The flight heroes make these gifts happen. And obviously, we want to make 75 flights happen this year. We need your help to either be a flight hero or support and donate to flight hero pages.
0: So, Kevin, as you were saying, there's really two ways about this. One is to become a flight hero if you want to get a little more involved. The other Mm -hmm. is to donate. Let's talk about the flight hero first. If you want to be a flight hero, what is the best place for you to go to get involved in this journey?
2: You can go to our website and right on our website, it says sign up to be a flight hero and it'll walk you through. You just fill out the the online form and it will get you going. For every flight hero, we give you a flight hero coach. They're going to help you with your page. They're going to help you with messaging that you can share on Facebook or on social media that will connect you uh, with your network to bring those donations in, and they're obviously going to connect you to the, the flight story you make happen. So we try to make it as easy as possible for a flight hero, and it's pretty a pretty automated process.
0: So if you're interested in donating, you can go to earninvest.com slash give a mile. That's earninvest.com slash give a mile or just earnin'vest.com slash G A M. If you're listening to this on the Earn and Invest Podcast. That's a great way for you to get involved. If you happen to be listening or seeing this because you are on a Flight Hero page, then you don't need to go anywhere else. You can donate right through that page. Kevin Crow and Tara From Give a Mile is the charity helping people get a chance to see their loved ones before they die. Thank you for being on Earn and Invest today, and thank you for all that you do.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Awesome. As you know, I keep things running just as an after show. Anything we didn't talk about? I mean, it's a weird topic, right? This idea of I, I was really, as you can tell, I was really kind of trying to tie in our experience, yeah, those of us agreed. who create with the average experience someone has when they're going to talk to their family or get someone on the right path. And, you know, it, it's a funny road to walk, but I think they're actually very connected.
1: I do too. And I, I think we did a pretty good job. Of, of describing that too again it's like the meet people where they are the look for those little clues and while trying to say like we're clearly not trying to convert people we just i to me phi is this superpower it's this clarity yeah that right like and you feel like you can genuinely help people in your life in your community by like just exposing them to this and then letting them run wild but but again like if you just walk around handing out pamphlets of like pursue financial independence like people are going to laugh at you but like look for those little clues and and you might be surprised
0: here's my theory and i was just thinking about this as we were having this conversation people like you and i have a certain amount of importance but the cost of conversion is too high people like you and i probably don't convert anyone we take people who are already on the path and show them how if we really want to see better financial behavior in the world because the cost of conversion is so high, it actually takes the family members. It takes them doing this lifelong work of meeting where they are, of paying attention, of dropping the little hints, of getting them to the moment that when they're primed, they're ready to hear the message. And I don't know if we can do that. Like, I don't know if you and I and content producers and bloggers, like, I think that's just too hard a push for us or too hard a, a carry. I think the only one who can do that are the people who love them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right. And yeah, it's hard. I mean, maybe so, right. Then we just, we meet those people who are already, and already then we, tuned.
0: And then we give them this wealth of information to yeah. help them actually go, okay, my brain's yeah. there now, but how do I do it?
1: Yeah. And you know, part of me, it, it, you you run a fine line right like when you're when you're running a business like I, I don't think either of us think of what we do as a business obviously but but nevertheless like yeah there can be that okay i would like i would love to incentivize people to bring other people into the community but i am always fearful that people are going to think it's some like not so transparent ploy to uh to like just make my business bigger which again i could care less about if i if i wanted to make my business bigger i would have made dramatically different decisions six years ago like nice. putting six ads on a podcast and foregoing potentially you know I, i've i forgotten millions of dollars and like because i care about the community right and like if i wanted to enrich myself i would have done something very very different so but nevertheless i guarantee you if i put some referral program out there i'm gonna get 10 one-star podcast reviews that say this guy's a sham and blah 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 you know which is ridiculous. So I guess you have to just gird yourself and say, all right, I don't care. I know that's coming because I know one tenth of 1% of people are just jerks and that's going to happen. Right. But like, but I wonder, is there a way to incentivize like people to, or if not incentivize, then just to like, Hey, you share this, yeah, like, yeah. share this with somebody, share this with a loved one, share this with someone who can really help. But again, then, I think like people like us need to do a better job of having some stepwise way. Like if, if I just say, Hey, share, choose FI, like, right. Yeah. Listen like, to 620. Episodes. Exactly. Yeah. What the hell do you do? Right. Like we have an essential listening guy, but even that, like and, nobody's going to listen to 15 episodes.
0: Admittedly, in a sense, I hope things like this episode starts that idea. Right. Mm. Cause Ultimately, what we're saying, like what what this episode was about in a sense was how do we really empower other people who are facing this resistance? Um, I think then, again, our job maybe as content creators is then get much more specifically like, okay, you buy into this idea of being persistent and meeting them where they are and supporting them when they need it and dropping those little nuggets. But then I guess the next step becomes, well, how exactly do I do that? And that's where you can become much more prescriptive in Right. These are the steps. This is the beginning knowledge. This is the why. Um.